Hello, and welcome to the fourth installment of SDCT Technologists podcast series. I am your host, David Kay. And again, I am lucky to have Carolyn Lowry with me, who is also on the SDCT committee. Carolyn, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Today, we'd like to just expand a little bit more on the concept of test bullets versus bullish tracking. We know our ultimate goal is accurate timing of the data acquisition to the arrival of the IV contrast and the target structures. It is necessary to ensure optimal intraluminal enhancement within the coronary arteries. There are a couple ways to achieve this goal. Carolyn, what are they? There's actually the test bolus and bolus tracking. And right now we're actually using the test bolus, which is a little bit less cumbersome for new technologists. But the big advantage to that is just to make sure that the IV catheter is placed and functioning well and that the patient is aware of all the side effects of IV contrast, which the faster injection rates and the warm sensation. And it is a good place for someone that's just learning cardiac. Some disadvantages is that if you don't, during your peak enhancement, add what your prep delay was, then your prep delay for your coronaries are going to be completely off. And it is a long breath hold for our patients. Right. I think another disadvantage of what I've seen is the patient's on the table a little bit longer than if it's a bullish tracking. So the longer that patient stays within the donut, uh, whether they're getting pre-medicated with IV metoprolol or a test bolus, the more chance of something going wrong with that scan. That's just what I've seen over the years. That, And we don't really use it much at my site, Minneapolis Heart Institute at Abbott Northwestern. But that is one that I can see as one disadvantage. As far as what what is test bolus? I, it, so you're doing a dynamic series of low-dose scans at one level Yes, and basically what you're doing is taking the images of the level of the ascending order in main pulmonary. It's a low-dose scan, and we're only using like 15 to 20 mLs of contrast. So you're basically watching contrast going in when it hits flush, then take one image, and you're going to stop that scan, and you can calculate your peak delay from that. Right. Once it hits peak enhancement, then you take the numbers and you, you add them up, and that's your delay. Correct. So, to speak. so what I did hear you say is it's going to be an additional 15 to 20, 10 to 15 cc's of IV contrast on top of what you're giving the patient. Correct. Okay. So if they do have a low GFR or, or, or high creatinine, this is not probably an ideal scenario, but that's, that's great. How often do you, I know your site, Carolyn, uses this approach quite often. How, how accurate are you with triggering with this approach? I think a lot of it has to do with your IVs and your patient's breathing, and that makes a big difference. So right. and if you don't add the correct breathing beginning of the prep delay, then you're going to get the wrong diagnostic prep delay. And sometimes if patients have irregular heartbeats, that could be a problem as well, or if their EFs are very low. Right. So in that situation, David, what are your what is your site doing for basically coming up with a prep delay for your coronaries? Well, at our site, we 100%, we do bullish tracking. So that's where we set the region of interest in the targeted area, whether it's the left atrium, the descending thoracic aorta, but at the level of the carina or a centimeter or two below. And we tell it we want it to trigger at this particular Hounsfield value. So 
Ours is set at 180 HU, and we base that off of using 80 KVP on the sampling pictures. So with that lower energy, it's safer for the patient, but yet the contrast is that much brighter. The attenuation value is different with the lower energy, so it, it makes the IV contrast that much brighter. So we, we trigger a little bit later at 180. And then we, we don't really start looking. Another key for this is when do you start looking at when do you start sampling? And we've determined that 10 seconds is a good starting point from vein to aorta. So we figure it's a number that gets us in the ballpark every time. So if we're looking at the routine coronaries, we will bolus track it. We will start looking at 10 seconds. We'll start sampling right at a centimeter or two below the crina looking at the descending aorta with a bolus tracking HU of 180. So is there a time between when you actually trigger and you actually start your diagnostic scan or do you go right into the scan diagnostic? We push the button at the scanner and the injector at the same time and it starts sampling 10 seconds after that. Okay. We also have a six second pre-scan breathing instruction that's built in. It's a breath comes on, we put one of the technologists voice on that so really, if once everything's done, we feel like this is just a, a little bit more simpler approach. Once you can figure out what KVP, what energy you're going to use for the sampling pictures, what you're going to trigger at Hounsfield value, and it seems to be working quite well. So what are some other advantages for using bolus tracking versus the timing bolus? Oh, that's a great question, Carolyn. One, we feel it's very efficient. We don't have that added step of a test bolus that we have to worry about. So it's, it's very efficient when you're scanning 20 to 30 patients in one room during nine hours, it's very helpful in this fashion. It's a single injection. It does reduce the amount of contrast used. We're not using that 15 to 20 seconds. And as far as accuracy, it seems like we're probably accurate 99% of the time with this approach, with adequate opacification in the different structures that we're targeting whether we're doing a single injection or a biphasic injection, a triphasic injection, we can normally figure it out and time it appropriately. So do you use this for prospective and retrospective with Ebola's tracking? Great question, we do. We use it for both prospective and retrospective. All of our morphology scans, our EVAR scans, our TAVR scans, and you as well with your we are actually Timing using balls? the test bolus right now for those. You're doing that as well? We're doing the test bolus. For the really. prospective? For prospective as well. And even for our turbo flash scans with our single heart rate, we're using still the test bolus. Yeah. So it just seems for some reason for Duke right now, just to, yeah. with our patients and our patient population has worked well. I know there are some other vendors that we've been using Smart Prep for. Right. I think it really depends on the patient itself and the patient population. Wow, that's outstanding. So it sounds like the majority, safe to say the majority of your scans at Duke, are, you're using timing bolus. Yes, David, that's correct. That's outstanding. Good for you. And I think Carolyn and I will both agree, if you are a new site starting out, go with what the vendor, whether it's Siemens, Philips, GE recommends. And from there, you can deviate. I know Siemens, when they came into our site, we started out with timing balls and it worked well, but we just found it more comfortable and more efficient to move on to bullets tracking once we, we figured out the, the technical aspects. 
And I, I feel too, the newer texts that come on, it's a little bit simpler for them. But again, Carolyn agrees that a timing bullet seems to work well with the newer texts coming on. I agree. And as I said, I think it depends on your site. It depends on the patient's diagnosis, which you're looking for. So I think there's a lot more in factors, but I think to follow your vendor's suggestions at first and then maybe grow into what is better for your site and your radiologist and cardiologist at that time. Right. That, that's a great point too. Your medical director, the cardiologist or radiologist who's over the site might have another take on how they want to trigger these scans and what's more accurate and how they want to approach it. So, well, thanks, Carolyn. Thanks again for stopping in today. And well, thank you so much, David, for having me. Talking about this fascinating topic here that's on the minds of most sites that are out there. It's something they think about it constantly. So with that, I'd like to wrap up this fourth edition, this podcast from the SCCT Technologist Committee. Again, thanks, Carolyn, and we'll look forward to talking to everyone next time. Bye now.